blackscholarspublishing.com. That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there. What's up, y'all? This is your host, Leonard Andre Wilson Jr. of the Black Scholars Podcast. Black Scholars Podcast is a community for black educators all across the country. Thank you guys for joining me. Uh, this episode, episode eight, features Stacy McLean. Stacy is actually launching a book called School Dismiss, where she details why she walked away from teaching. She gives us a glimpse of why she walked away from teaching in this interview that we had. Um, Originally, I was looking for anyone, any educator who had a principal from hell. You know, I wanted them to share their story about that. She inboxed me on Instagram and let me know that, hey, I don't necessarily have a principal from hell, but I taught or I teach at a school from hell. It's still very hard to picture a bunch of six and seven year olds running a school. Uh, and it is a K through eight, I believe. But listen to the interview, listen to the discussion, and, you know, make a judgment call on, you know, could that happen to you if you were in that situation, if you were in a K through eight? And also listen to the reasons why she explained why she walked away from teaching. So, once a teacher, always a teacher. Once an educator, always an educator. Shout out to Stacey McClain. Again, she's releasing a new book called School Dismissed, Walking Away from Teaching. And with that, let's get into the show. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. For my family, friends included, yeah, I signed a deal If the bids included, no illusions, this is hip hop Music at its raw, it's not a cliche rapper Rap about sex and boring when I sleep It feels like I'm falling with the sky beneath me All my problems underneath me So I keep these ghosts from my past Stay invisible, I'm not invincible Just confident, I'm protected under biblical principles Beyond miracle, sorry I can't dumb this down Next week I'm coming down From the heavens with the angels in the clouds So for this episode, we're calling it Teaching a School from Hell. So you responded to um, a post I made uh, asking basically for stories about teachers from, or excuse me, principals from hell. Um, And you didn't have one specifically about a principal, but actually a school, which I thought was interesting, uh, definitely different, unique. And uh, I definitely want to get your 
uh, experience on there. But before we get started, let's see here. And you can still hear me good? Yes. All right, perfect. Um, before we get started on that, uh, Stacy, won't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Where are you from? Um, where'd you go to school? What led you to the path of becoming an educator? So um, I started my teaching career in Washington, D.C. I'm from California, Los Angeles, and um, I wanted to become a teacher because I had a lot of issues once I got to, well, middle school, <clears throat> I noticed tracking in classes um, where it was whites and Asians in the higher track classes, blacks and Latinos in the lower track classes. Um, in elementary school, starting at first grade, I was bused from my um, black community to a white neighborhood. So at a very young age, I always saw the differences. And then in high school, um, when I you know, was applying to colleges and everything, I noticed that the counselor was very uh, unsupportive of me. When at home, I was very encouraged to do what I wanted to do and, you know, go do, be great. But at school it was totally different. So I said, well, I want to be a teacher that actually, you know, a teacher, uh, even though that was a counselor. But, well, even I tried to get into AP classes and I could not get into AP classes. My mom had to go to the school and protest and that still didn't help. But um, I wanted to be the kind of teacher that actually encouraged kids and wanted to see them do well. And I come from a family of educators. My grandmother was an educator in segregated Virginia. And it, it, you know, in her community, it was an honor to be a teacher. So I wanted to be that same example for students. So I started teaching in DC. Um, it was a horrible teaching experience first year. Um, what was your question again? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, just getting background information from you. Um, you know, again, where you're from and you said you're originally from California. Correct. Okay. And where did you earn your degree to teach from? Um, Howard University. I had a I have a master's in elementary education, okay. but I've taught in three different states and in two countries. So I have a total of nine years of teaching experience. All right. And you were saying that you started out teaching in D.C.? Yes. Okay. And, and where? what other states or areas did you teach in? I was also in Denver and in Los Angeles. And um, in all of those experiences, were you always uh, elementary education? Yes. Okay. Yes. And what's I, what's the oldest group of kids that you've taught? Fourth grade. Okay. And have you done kindergarten? No, just first through fourth. First through fourth. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and so basically what led you to become a teacher is that you have a family of, of educators and, you know, your experience that wasn't, didn't sound so good in high school. You wanted to be a uh, difference maker. You wanted a different experience for kids. Right. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. Did you also go to law school? I did go to law school. Um, I thought that going to law school would help me with my education reform efforts, kind of linking education policy and law to make changes, but I realized it is too slow for me. 
to change laws and change policy. So I graduated, but after graduation, I went back to the classroom um, thinking that, you know, I could affect change better back in the classroom. And now I've decided to leave the teaching profession. So, um, yeah. So you were teaching for a few years and then you stopped and went to law school and then went back into teaching. Is that how that worked? Yes. Okay. Okay. And do you have any plans to actually utilize that experience and that credential? Um, Possibly in the future. I mean, my mom says no education is a waste and I do believe that. Um, But directly, I feel like law school helped me more to think critically, but uh, directly in terms of uh, for my benefit with affecting change in education, I don't think so. Okay. Okay. And so, um, okay. So your mom said that, you know, no experience is wasted. And you're saying that, hey, it's not wasted. It helps me with my thinking, with my perspective, how I process information. But you don't actually have any plans on actually becoming an attorney. Right. Okay. All right. And um, where'd you get the law degree from? Was that also at Howard? No, that was um, at the University of Denver. Okay. How many years were you in Denver? Uh, A total of eight or nine. Okay. Okay. So you've been bouncing in between different regions, different states. Um, Did you grow up in a military family or you just like traveling? Like what, what prompted that? Yes, I do like traveling. Um, I'm not from a military family. Uh, yeah, I, when I was in 10th grade, my city has had a um, youth exchange program, so I was able to go to Japan in 10th grade, all expenses paid. And, you know, that just started my love of travel. So once I started teaching, I did end up teaching in Japan and Kuwait just because I wanted a different experience. Awesome. And do you speak any other languages? No. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's good to hear an educator traveling all over the place. Uh, There's definitely opportunity for that. So uh, let's see here. So the school that you taught at, um, which I assume is your last teaching experience, which was the charter school, correct? The K-8? Okay. before we get started, just, you know, what's your personal opinion on charter schools? What do you think about them? Are they effective? Do they work? (laughs) That's a funny question. Um, this, what my last teaching experience was my first time at a charter school. So many charter schools are different. There are the great charter schools that you hear about Ron Clark Academy Mm -hmm. and others around the country. that are doing great things. And I applaud that. However, there are also many charter schools that are not doing so well. Um, I am not personally a fan of charter schools, but, um, yeah, there's a lot, you know, it's a, it is a business Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of, I think, uh, emotional connections with kids and what kids really need that gets lost in that business. And so sometimes, many times it's not effective. The charter schools don't have a lot of the operations and procedures and support. They don't have a, 
like a good program, a skeleton of how a school should be run. And then that causes a lot of problems. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I definitely have uh, seen some charter schools do it better than other ones. Uh, you mentioned the Ron Clark Academy, definitely a good one. Uh, I think KIPP overall as an organization seems to be a pretty strong um, charter school system. Um, right. But there are a lot of um, lesser known and, you know, startup uh, charter schools out there that uh, I'm not sure what they're doing. And I don't think they know what they're doing either. But <laughs> nevertheless, right. um, so let's talk about your experience from, you know, this this terrible, this terrible teaching experience that you had with this school. Um, it was a charter school. It was K through eight. Um, you mentioned uh, off air that uh, your your principal needed some help. Um, and K through eight is a lot because you're taking, you know, Head Start uh, standard elementary and secondary, which, you know, the middle school grades, that's a lot of work for one person to, uh, manage and to lead and to, you know, kind of create a culture, um, that's consistent. Was she the only administrator there or did she have assistance? She did have assistance. Okay. However, she was the, the principal for K through eight. And okay. we also had a TK class as well. Um, but we had an assistant principal of operations, an assistant principal of instruction, and a school operations manager. Okay. Mm -hmm. How uh, how many kids were attending that school? Uh, I'm not even sure. Maybe 700? 700 kids. Okay. Okay. I'm guessing. And how many how many teachers or faculty, if you can remember? Probably 80 to 90. Okay. And uh, how long ago was this experience? Because this was your last teaching position, correct? Yes, this was three weeks ago. The three last day of ago. school was June 14th. Okay, so this is very fresh, very new. Yes. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about it. So what made it the school from hell? What happened? Well, there was no, like I said, procedures. So... Even the kids in the morning, morning uh, on the playground, usually the principal comes out, has a quick five minute, you know, meeting. Hey, kids, how are you doing? Let's have a great day. Say the Pledge of Allegiance outside, whatever. That maybe happened, I don't know, the first couple of days of school, but we didn't see the principal doing that the rest of the year. And so... Little things like a procedure. How do you line up in the morning? How do you walk? How, how do you play at recess and line up at recess? When you don't have these little, seemingly little structures in place, it causes fights, it causes problems, and then you have fights coming into the building, fights coming into the class. And when I say fights, again, um, these are not little, you know, push you. These are major, like, boys swinging on the floor with other boys. Uh, just like the disrespect, the words coming out of these kids' mouths from K through eighth, the anger with some of these kids, many of the kids, it was just unreal. Like I've never seen anything like it before. Where I taught in DC was a very tough school. I, all the schools in the US I've taught at have been Title I schools. Uh, nothing compared to this experience. 
We had uh, the kids even have a, uh, an Instagram, Facebook page for fights where they post fights. Um, it would get to the point where even when I took my kids to their elective classes, other teachers included, we would not go down one stairwell. We'd go down the other stairwell because we knew there would be fights or commotion, you know, in that stairwell because the middle schoolers would be coming up. But there were constantly kids in the hallways, walking, roaming, not in class, like all the time. Kids upset, yelling, just the noise level, the, um, it makes you very anxious because in the hallways you can hear fights and you know kids all of a sudden would want to go to the bathroom because they want to know what's going on. They want to you know be nosy and ooh, let's see what happened. And these are six-year-olds. Um, when the fights were going on outside, you could feel the vibration in my class, the tension rise. Um, it's just, there's, there's so much. The teacher next door, all the teachers had <laughs> kids with challenges, but again, these are not normal classroom management type situations that you can control. These kids had major mental health issues, undiagnosed um, trauma. There was a, a lot of trauma and people don't realize with trauma, I'm just learning myself because of this experience. Trauma is not just like molestation or drug abuse. Trauma can be kids getting separated or their parents getting separated, something as little as that, a kid changing schools. And so this school did not prepare the teachers for this type of uh, population. And it, it, it was just normal to see kids fighting like all the time, stealing things from each other. Um, I had one incident, a third grader at the end of the year, a week before school was out, um, stole money out of my purse. He's not, he was not my student. He walked into my classroom after school, opened my closet, opened my bag, took the purse out of my bag, wallet out of the purse, stole cash, $70 that I was actually going to use for, um, the teachers were going to go on a wine tour. And so after that incident, once I found out my money was stolen, you know, I go to the principal's office and we're looking at the cameras and it's just like, we're studying the camera as if this is an adult, you know, that stole something, but this is a, a child. And j just the levels of things that occur, I have, I have so many stories, but even the teacher next door, we had adjoining rooms and she had one student who had a lot of issues the whole year. He was kicked out. They let him back in later and he would terrorize the room. And so one day my door flung open and all her kids are running in. We, Miss McLeod, we gotta let, we gotta go. So-and-so is going crazy. Like, and because the teacher told them to run into my room for safety. This is the kind of issues that we deal with on a daily basis. Like it's war, seriously. And um, yeah, it, it was just rough. It was rough for all of the staff. Many of the staff were hardworking, dedicated individuals, but we did not get the support that we needed. And by support, you mean from admin or from the school board or who specifically? Um, all of the above. Okay. And, and, yeah. and also to add in there, probably parents too, right? Yes. But I don't think some of the parents realized what was going on at the school. I don't even know if any of many of them cared. Um, 
it just, the morale was low. Teachers were quitting. People, teachers were getting fired, staff getting fired randomly. When new uh, staff was hired, nobody was informed or there was no formal introduction given. So there's like strangers walking around campus or, you know, they have a visitor tag, but you have to introduce yourself like, hi, I'm so-and-so. You know, it, it, everything was just willy-nilly, even with um, procedures for, for rainy day schedules, simple things like that. They did not get on the loudspeaker to announce, like, we have rainy day schedule. We're going to be outside today. So what ends up happening is when you have rainy day schedule, the food comes to the classroom. The kids don't, you know, go to the cafeteria. And so when you have a bunch of students where any little transition is a big deal, as a teacher, you need to prepare. And when you have the kids start walking and then we find out, oh, no, we're going to eat lunch inside and you have to bring them back like they're already hyped. Like you can't you know what I mean? Like this is something you need to plan and they needed to communicate with teachers. But these kinds of things happened on a daily basis. So let me ask you this. Did the school board ever visit like the superintendent ever visit the school? Not the superintendent, but we did have district officials. And before those observation days, prior to them coming, you know, we had meetings and all of the staff were, you know, posted on both stairwells, ready for the middle schoolers when they were changing classes. It was beautiful. The days that staff or th that um, representatives from the district were coming to observe. And that's what made me even more mad because we're putting on a show. It's not like this every day. There were no problems the days that we had observations because they had staff in place. Everybody, you know, took it seriously. But any other day, and again, it's not just one person, but ad, if you needed to hire more staff, then that's what admin should have done, you know, to be able to monitor the kids in the hallways because things were, like I said, getting stolen. Uh, I feel like a lot of, not, not administration, but just kids were getting coddled and when you steal, when you steal a computer from a teacher, when you steal a teacher's keys, expensive keys, you know, that are expensive to replace and the kid is coddled, like, oh, they have issues. They we're going to work with this kid. They I understand that we can work with that. But the kid needs to understand, like, right is right. Wrong is wrong. You can't just keep stealing. And there be not that there has to be consequences. We can have a restorative justice conversation, but let's actually have a meaningful one. Don't, you know, swipe it under the rug. And when you say keys, are you referring to like car keys? Yes. Not mine, but a teacher across the hall. Were kids trying to steal cars? No, they, well, maybe. I mean, to give to a family member, I don't know, but they stole a teacher's keys, stole the teacher's a school laptop computer and it, I, I'll just say admin won't, didn't believe that that happened, but it was on video. Well, not the actual stealing in the classroom, but we have cameras all over the building. So anyway, they did find it. It was the kid who stole it. And so, um, Okay, so this just wrapped up three weeks ago. How long were you teaching at the school? A little over a year. 
Okay. And, and what would you say is the average time that um, a faculty member, an educator there would have taught there? Um, two years or less, but I do want to say a lot of the staff is from was working at the school when they were a really good school. So at one point, the school was a great school. It, it was the beacon in the community. However, uh, they moved to a new building two years ago, and perhaps that was part of the issue too. They didn't know how to set up procedures for this new building and what a new building meant. And so you had a lot of teachers who had been here there for a while, maybe half the staff, and then half the staff was new. And of those new teachers, I think, or new staff in general, most did not, I would guess, would only stay two years. Okay. And um, so there's a high teacher. I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, there's a high teacher turnover. Okay. Okay. Um, and so did you officially resign? Yes. Did they try to did they ask why? Did they try to prevent you from resigning or? They did and they asked if I wanted to be transferred to another school within their um, organization and I said no, but thank you for the offer. So um, they knew, yeah. Oh no, go ahead. I'm sorry, I was just gonna say they knew the problems, so I don't know, I, I'm just baffled by you see kids fighting and when did this become ex acceptable for this to be normal? Like most of the staff was black. All of the kids were black. 98% of the staff and kids were black. Why is this okay? Like there's no excuse. And what city is this in again? I don't want you to name the actual school, but what city is this in again? Los Angeles. Okay. So this is in LA, California. Okay. Um, and I know it's a younger grade, you know, dealing with K through eight, but did you see were some of those fights gang affiliated or neighborhood affiliated by chance? No, Okay. no, I did have a kid in my class who had gang affiliations and words, you know, would get said, you know, sometimes when he was fighting other kids, but that wasn't, I don't think that was a major issue with these fights. And what grade did you teach at this school? First grade. And he was gang affiliated? Oh yeah, his mom was a blood. She is a blood. Wow. A very nice lady. Never had any problems with her at all. Very nice. So um, let's go back a bit. So when you first started at this school, um, how long did it take before the nightmare to begin? When did you realize, like, I have made a drastic mistake by agreeing to work here? Like, when did you actually realize that? What was that point? Well, I want to say even before I accepted the position, because I was applying to the school in March, because um, a year prior, I had left my teaching position at another school at the end of the year. I wanted to leave teaching and so I left and I didn't transition properly. So I needed to come back to a job. And so I knew that going into the school year in March, there's going to be issues. Like I know a teacher left for a reason because I've worked at schools before where I've started in the middle of the school year. 
the less desirable schools will still have openings, you know, random times of the year. So I already knew that. And I was like, whatever, you know, I, I need some money. So went into the school, um, was not supported. Usually you have some, um, another adult transition with you for the first three days, especially since the school, the kids have been through so much with so many substitutes, they have trust issues. And so, you know, like I said, usually you have an adult to help you and not that you need an adult to help you, but at, at this school, yes, you did. And even at one point there were three adults in my classroom, a parent, myself, and the literacy inst uh, instructional specialist. And all three of us could not control six-year-olds. Like that's how bad it was. And it's because that particular group, they've been seeing a almost like a reverse um door with teachers leaving and teachers coming back in. So I'm assuming their permanent teacher quit or was he or she fired? Uh, she left in the beginning of the, the first, I think, two or three weeks of school. Um, and then they had a series of substitutes and they finally got another teacher who stayed for about four months or three or four months. And then that teacher left and then they had a series of substitutes and then me. So what... So, what what month and year did you officially start with this uh, charter school? I started in March, finished that year, and then I had a whole nother complete year starting fresh. Okay. So you um, were so you were there all this year and then you came in March of last school year. Right. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now let me ask you this. And and, and I'm not saying this to be uh condescending or anything like this, but um you said that most of the staff was African-American or was it 100% African-American or? No, maybe 98%. It matched the kids? Yes. All right. And you guys had faculty meetings every week or every other week? We, yes, we had not, form, not staff meetings where you could actually engage and, and ask questions so much. It was more like a quick we'll tell you this in 15 minutes and then you go to a PD, you have a PD. Okay. So you have PD. So you guys do PLCs at that school? No. Okay. Okay. So at any time during the year, during the faculty meeting, did you guys ever get the chance to like just share the floor and discuss issues that you were all having? We did, but they kind of got swept under the rug and we were basically told these, these kids have issues and we need to like not get used to it, but like meet the kids where they work kind of thing. So it's like, if a kid is cursing with you, well, you, that's just how it is. The kid has issues. So were there, if you know, what was the percentage of SPED students in this population? I don't know formally, but I know we had a, a SPED teacher for elementary, a SPED teacher for middle school, and that was too much for two people. And basically the majority of the school could have been SPED. So do you feel like there were a lot of undiagnosed students there who had some? Defin mm -hmm, definitely, definitely. So, so are we talking ADHD? Bipolar, schizophrenia, okay. yes, all oh. of it. Was there a behavior specialist on staff? No, we had a, uh, we had many different, 
psychologist, um, they left also. So different psychologists. We had two counselors. But again, that was only the kids who had or, you know, met the requirements for counseling services. Most of the kids who needed counseling didn't have counseling. So two guidance counselors and you said the school psychologist left. Were they assigned to that specific school or were they a part of the district? Um. I mean, they, they worked for our school, so a charter school in the district. So they specifically worked at that school? Like they had an yes. office and oh, everything there? Oh, that's what there? you mean. Yes, yeah. specifically okay. at our school. Yes. Now you, you said they left, so they, they quit? Yes. And there were two of them? One, one psychologist, two counselors, but we never had a consistent, you know, m- mental health staff, I guess. So the psychologists, counselors, behavior therapists, well, we never had behavior therapists, but nobody was ever consistent. So we didn't even know their names really because they kept coming and going, which was standard at our school with all staff. Did you guys have a social worker at all? No. No social worker. Okay. And the school psychologist left. (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) there you have it. Uh, you you have uh, basically created an infrastructure of uh, potential chaos, um, especially with 700 kids. Uh, and, you know, based on what you said, it seemed like it was pretty disorganized. Um, but what I was wondering is that I know at certain times during the year, um, and this is at all schools, good or bad, I just feel like at some point when you realize that there's a problem that certain faculty members who are very opinionated kind of take the lead on, on certain things. And so I feel like if there were, you know, kids in the hallway and there were kids out outright being disrespectful and fights all the time, I just wonder if you guys ever had a chance to have like a, a powwow where it's just like, let's brainstorm some potential solutions admins not doing what they're supposed to be doing for whatever reason. The school board thinks this is a lovely school. Um, Parents don't care, but this is our school. These are our kids and we're not going to let them, you know, run amok. Did that Mm -hmm. ever happen during the school year at all? I mean, definitely uh, teachers, staff members were vocal. Okay, We were not heard. Um, the school even organized focus groups where they broke us into groups based on your position at the school. So all of the campus aides met together, all of the instructional assistants met together, all of the, well, lower elementary teachers met together, the upper elementary teachers met together. And we did this maybe twice. So we had opportunities to speak um, and voice our concerns, give suggestions teachers emailed, we talked to administrators, but nothing was really done. Um, We have very vocal teachers. Even at one point, um, I believe it was the week before school spring break, the school was just beyond the normal chaos. It it was extreme. So for this school standards. So um, I, I believe it was a Wednesday and I emailed So our principal was placed on administrative leave, maybe in December or January. So we had interim, two interim administrative 
leaders. And they, I emailed them and I said, if you don't have these three simple things done by Friday, I'm leaving. Like I'm, I'm quitting in the middle of the year. And so they did make, they did make those changes. So I ended up staying, but I was preparing a strike because parent conferences was the following week and you can't have, you know, parent conferences without the teachers there. Like, um, one day I even, I started texting the teachers and I was like, we're having a meeting after school. And they're like, did they call a meeting? I was like, no, we're, we're calling the meeting. Like, this is ridiculous. So things, there were changes made um, kind of immediately, I would say, but they weren't long-term. And so everything went back to the way it was. Nothing was sustained. Any changes they made was not were not sustained. Any behavior management systems they had were not sustained. So was the, uh, how long was that principal there? Has that principal been there the entire time? Um, just one year, one year. But you did state maybe two years ago that that was a very successful charter school. What happened to the original principal? Um, I don't know. They were on a different campus. And then when they moved to the new campus, they hired a new principal that first year with the new building. And then my principal was the principal the second year. And your principal got placed on leave. Yes. Is the principal going to be retained or are they officially released now? Um, I'm not sure, but I think the principal is officially released. And, um, and we, and we talked about this off air, that school is struggling, um, and no coincidence or, um, we're not surprised that they're struggling academically, those kids, as far as test performance. Yes. How many years have they been struggling since they moved to the new building? Yes. Which has been two years. Um, I think our Test scores are about 21% of the kids meeting state standards. Um, so the charter, the elementary charter is up for renewal. And if those scores don't improve, the school will be shut down. And so when you say elementary charter, are we saying K through five or K through six? K through five. K through five. So there's no way that school could remain open uh, if that, if that's not renewed? Right. The middle school might actually shut down as well. Are they struggling academically as well, too? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and the scores keep decreasing each year. So do they have one more year to get it right and turn it around? or this, For the this elementary school, yes. So they've got next year, what, 2018-2019 school year to make some changes? Well, I think based on, I think, I think so. Okay. I think so. In the middle school, do they have another year or is? I'm not sure about the middle school charter, but I believe the elementary charter was first. And that one is most important to keep the entire school open. Right. So if the elementary is not renewed, the middle school will also not be renewed. And out of curiosity's sake, this uh, charter school, uh, and please don't name them, but this charter school, is this like a, um, is this a, like nationwide? Like they're, are they in different states, different cities? No, it's, it's not one of the networks. Okay. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. How many schools that act, do they actually have? Just that one or? No, maybe mm, seven or eight. Oh, that's a big number. Maybe five or six. 
that's a big number too. And, yeah. they're, and they're all in LA? Yes. Oh. <laughs> and how are the other schools doing as far as you know? The other schools are doing better. Um, sad to say the demographics are different. Um, but our school was the first school. So again, if our school shuts down, actually the entire organization might suffer. Because that's where most of the staff and the kids and all the resources are. Yeah, well, that was the first charter. So okay. I don't know how it works, but yeah. Oh, you mean like if this one gets shut down, does it shut down the entire system? It, yes. It, like the all six right. schools. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, that's interesting. Now, well, I, I, think <laughs> it, I think it does. So that's why I'm saying it's so important that our schools get the charter renewed. Right. Yeah, that's important. That's very important. Um, and I'm all the way in Tennessee. I'm in Memphis, Tennessee, and we have charter schools down here. Um, the charter schools, there was like a, I guess you would call it like a bit of growth at some point where it was really robust, where it seems like every nonprofit or some type of organization um, was starting an, uh, a charter school and uh, trying to link to um, the big school district that we have down here. And uh, they started to get really, really selective and very strict about, you know, what they wanted, the expectations, because what we discovered down here in Memphis, Tennessee, is that a lot of the charter schools were, I guess, stealing resources as far as, you know, state funding, local funding, um, because they were getting the kids because, you know, they might offer them, you know, Chick-fil-A during lunch or uh, everyone gets an iPad or, you know, something like that. And the kids got mm -hmm. excited. The parents would get excited. They'd go on this huge recruiting tour. But then at the end of the school year, when the dust settles and the smoke clears, you would clearly see they weren't outperforming their neighborhood schools that they would have attended anyway. Um, and some were grossly underperforming. Um, and so now they've become very, very strict. Um, as far as opening up charter schools in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, it's probably going to be that way for the foreseeable future. Um, that's interesting, though, because I do know some schools who uh, have more than one campus, and I've mm -hmm. seen one particular campus shut down, but the other campus was doing fine, so they let them continue. I think that's interesting. Um, that's interesting. Mm. I, I got to do some more research on that. I gotta definitely. Gotta yeah, do some more me too. I, I don't know if it's if it matters if the school that started the charter, you know, management organization yeah. that if, if, yeah, if that's the school that started it, if that's, that one gets shut down, all of them might get shut down. I don't know if that makes a difference. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, the original charter would be with the first school. And so, right. yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Hmm. I gotta do some research on that. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for bringing that to my attention there. Um, so let me ask you this. So we got, uh, Educators listening to this, whether they are, you know, um, counselors or psychologists or classroom teachers or reading specialists, and maybe they're going through a similar situation where it kind of feels like they work in chaos. Um, some days are organized, some days are not. What advice would you give to them um, besides the obvious of, hey, I'm out, here's here's my resignation. Mm -hmm. If they really want to continue, what what? What advice would you give? What encouragement would you give for them to kind of circumvent all of the chaos that's going on? Well, to stay at a school 
like I worked at or or yeah, just in, in teaching in, in general? Yeah, school like you worked at, yeah. Um, mental health, I think therapy would be helpful. I went to therapy at my previous school, but not the most recent school, and that's probably where I should have had the therapy. So use the resources, your benefits packet, and I would say, because, you know, teachers, of course, have teacher friends. And so you end up venting to your teacher friends. Nothing wrong with that. And you vent to your coworkers. But sometimes you need a neutral person, you know, to listen and to help you through. Because, again, there's what I'm learning. It's called vicarious trauma. And so when you work at schools like this, you take on the kids' trauma. And this was happening to me unconsciously, and I think to many of the other staff members. Um, and it can be very overwhelming. And I think I know teachers need someone to talk to. So I would tell educators to be open minded and shop around for a counselor or therapist as you would shop for shoes. I, you know, had a therapist at the previous school and we weren't necessarily a good match. Um, she was from Cuba and she used to tell me about a lot about Cuba, but I'm like, that's not what I'm, you know, paying for. I want to talk about me. (laughs) So you, and then, um, I was with Kaiser and after the individual therapist, they ended up transferring me or suggesting that I do group therapy as a, I think a business for more business for them but group therapy wasn't necessarily helpful for me. So I'm saying don't let that deter you as an educator. If you have a bad experience, try another counselor. Keep trying until you find someone that you can talk to any talk to about any issues that you're having. Now, let me ask you this. Was your, and, and great advice, by the way, um, was your therapist Cuban? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, I went to... Uh, what was it? Uh, second year of teaching. My second year of teaching. Um, there were a lot of changes. The school was fine, but the admin kind of uh, started to dwindle down. We lost some very good uh, assistant principals and uh, hired some new ones. And then the actual principal wasn't. He wasn't doing what he was doing previously, which made me realize just how important having good leadership, good admin is. Uh, and being a successful educator, like it really made me realize that very early in my career. So nevertheless, I did start to attend a therapist and um, she was probably the best uh, therapist. She was the only therapist that I've ever had. So I can't even compare to anyone else. Um, But she looked like she could be a part of my family, if that makes sense. Like, (laughs) and and, and that's what I intentionally was looking for because, um, you know, when we have, and, and this is kind of the purpose of the platform that I've, I've built for educators, when you have someone that looks like you, um, speaking to you and listening to you and, you know, being a, a sounding board for you to brainstorm and bounce, you know, ideas and frustrations off of, it makes a difference because no matter where we're from originally, um, or no matter where we travel, we all have these 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 similarities, these commonalities as African-Americans. Um, and I think that's important. So if you are a black educator listening, um, definitely listen to Stacy's advice. You do indeed need to get a therapist if you're working in a stressful environment. Um, I think teaching 
naturally is stressful but mm -hmm. if you're going through a situation like Stacy's going through then of course it's going to be even more stressful and so that self-care is really really important and therapy is important and I would advocate and encourage you to find someone that looks like you now it doesn't mean that they'll be you know great like my therapist uh, you might still have to look around till you find a perfect match and it's not to say that they can look different from you and not be you know a good match but um, I would right. at least start there and I mean when I was looking for a physician it was the exact same thing um, I was looking for a dentist is the exact same thing I just want people who have you know can I have commonalities with uh, similarities with and that just just makes it easier for me personally so Right. Good point. Good point. And, and be intentional about the self-care. Like seriously, like when it's, I'm not just talking about getting a massage, getting your hair done every two weeks or whatever. No, like you need that emotional, that mental, like you need to be intentional about it if you are um, struggling, because some of these schools, it's beyond classroom management. It's like trauma that the kids are experiencing and it affects you. Definitely, especially since, you know, um, you know, regardless of the degrees, you know, you go through a teacher education uh, program or preparation program, whether it's undergrad or it's grad school, you get an MED or MAT or EDS or EDD, doesn't matter. We're not right. really trained or qualified to deal with um, strategically mental health issues in kids. We know how to recognize it, um, but that's not why we're actually there. And we wear many, many hats. I just don't think there's too many educators who are prepared to deal with that, which is why we have guidance counselors and school psychologists and social workers. And that's why we have all of those resources. Um, but it seems like at your school, and I know a few schools where they don't have those adequate um, resources of, you know, people who are there, specialists who are there, who can legitimately, effectively help kids and adults too. So um, that's interesting. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Well, very, very good <laughs> advice. So let's talk future. So enough with the, the negative stuff. I think that was a horror story for everyone uh, to listen to there. But what's next for you? Because you're taking this experience and you just resigned what's your future look like? What are your goals? What are your plans? What are you going to be doing? So I actually have a book coming out, um, July, Thursday, July 19th. It's called school dismissed walking away from teaching. And it's kind of go over, going over my, uh, thoughts behind why I'm leaving teaching. And I, I don't actually have a plan. <laughs> so I don't know what I want to do in the future, but I feel like I, I know that I want to have a platform and be able to expose some of these issues because I, I don't think people know, like it's not headline news. And to me, it should be like, it's unacceptable. And so I want and have started writing scripts. Um, I want to make films about specifically education or TV shows specifically about education. Um, in terms of just a job for now, I'm looking at a job that doesn't require any work when I come home. So I, I go to the job nine to five, can come home and unlike teaching, you know, have my evenings free, have my weekends free to do, to create and do what I want to do. So I'm not looking specifically right now for um, jobs in education, but just, you know, a, a 
temper a job that I know for a year will sustain me kind of thing. So I've done um, legal document review projects in the past. Um, I'm looking at some universities to work as a staff member, not faculty, but just looking at other education type jobs that I can get, whether it's a nonprofit. Um, yeah. Okay. And I do know with your um, law degree, your law background, you definitely could kind of merge the two. Have you thought about being like an adjunct faculty starting out um, at a college? No, it, it crossed my mind before, but I, no, no. I, I think teaching, I have too many issues with the system and institutions now that I, I just, I can't work in a, a, an institution like that teaching. Right. Yeah. It's just not going to work for me. Understand. Understand. Other suggestion I would make too, with your uh, background and experience, um, if you've ever looked into instructional design, that might be something. And I don't mean at a, uh, a school, I mean, instructional design for a fortune, you know, fortune 500 company. Um, and I know in LA, you guys have got, you know, tons of fortune 500 companies and startups and whatnot. So that might be something to consider or even maybe corporate training. Um, so something to look into. Yeah, I, I did look into those actually, but again, I'm like, eh, this, it's not me. I got you. It's, yeah, curriculum and instruction is important, but it's, it's not me. No. Okay, and uh, you also have a podcast, right? Yes. So we recorded many episodes, but uh, we were using the Anchor app and there were sound quality issues, so we haven't uh, published it yet. But and we're still trying to figure out what we're going to do with those episodes. But I recorded an episode last week with a woman, um, a black woman who's a social worker, and she deals with trauma and vicarious trauma. And I was able to talk to her and we recorded that on Squadcast. So we're hoping to actually put out our introduction episode soon in the next week. Definitely. And when I say we, it's one of the, the parents of uh, the year before last who came in and helped me every day because she saw that the class was so out of control. Mm -hmm. It's her and I. Awesome. Yeah. That's it's called awesome. Education Funk. I love it. I love it. So, and are you going to make that available? iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play? Yes, all okay. of those. <laughs> all formats where you can listen to podcasts. Well, please let me know when you uh, uh, publish that. Uh, I'd like to help share that out, you know, to other black educators. Uh, I think that'll be useful for them to listen to. So definitely let, please let me know. Thank you. I will. I appreciate it. All right. One final question. I'll let you go. One last question. You, um, even though you are leaving teaching, you're still a black scholar. You're still a black educator, always at heart. Yes. What is one thing that needs to be done or that needs to change in order to improve the profession? I think black educators need to speak up. And... When I say that, I don't mean with just to your administrators or um, I, I don't like, I think it needs to, they need to speak up, say how you feel, like tell the truth, go to the districts, email the districts. Um, and I know people don't have time, people are busy, but like if, if we can complain about the kids and what's going on, like 
we need to speak up about it because it's not okay and it's not helping the kids and it's draining us. So I, I would just say speak up, write about it. Um, and, and you don't have to speak up and be, you know, confrontational. You can give constructive criticism and, and explain why you think it's instructive criticism. Give suggestions. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, attacking administration or attacking the system because you do want people to hear you. But I think we, we have to stop accepting how things are because black kids are not doing well. <laughs> right, which continuously perpetuates the systems uh, that we have going on, the status quo that we have going. And, um, you know, we've grown so much, but there's still so much for us to do. There's still so much development. There's still so many different levels that we have to get to, um, not just in terms of education, but financially, mentally, um, every aspect. So, right. Yeah. Well, that's it. Any last words? No. Um, just, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, it's important. It, it matters. Um, and it's, you know, I've listened to some of the other podcasts and talked to my friends who are teachers about black educators and, you know, our presence. It, it, it matters. Um, but like in my case, where it is a black school, uh, we still weren't getting the same respect. And so that's why I'm just saying speak up because it just, it matters. <laughs> that's all I can say. Definitely. 100% agree. Well, this has been fun. What can I say? Mamba out. Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, Sometimes go to blackscholarspublishing.com. You just gotta go. You will never know what you can ever be. If you never try, you will never see. Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave. So the ones don't slave in our history. When no slave ships 